have walked around the block with Christmas before. And so it's always a bit of a challenge to stand up and to speak at Christmas time because the story fundamentally doesn't change. And we could try and change it when we have our children's nativity service in a couple of weeks. We could try again and say, oh my goodness, it's a girl. But I think um, people would put us right here in Cambridge. If you're a parent, uh, you probably know all too well that uh, this is a season where children are being coached and trained for their school and different nativity plays. I did hear a true story about some poor child who was forever being picked on by the teacher. And it seemed she could never do anything right. Either she said her line, she only had one line, but either she said her line too quietly or too loud or she fidgeted. Or she never seemed to be able to please the teacher. In fact, she was given the part of being one of a number of inhospitable innkeepers. And she took all this uh, anger from the teacher in very good grace. And the, the day of the actual performance came around. And uh, there were all the innkeepers lined up. Along came Joseph and Mary. And this girl was the very first innkeeper. And she rewrote the play. She said, come on in. I've been longing to see you. <laughs> it was revenge. So it is challenging. It is challenging to uh, think of something new that can be said. So I found a new joke, which is, why is the Great British Bake Off like the Nativity? This is a terrible joke. And the answer is, because the star is in the yeast. Oh. <laughs> uh, they got it a lot quicker at the earlier service. <laughs> but it, I've done my homework and I've discovered that actually in the last year, uh, Christmas may not have changed, but a whole lot of new words have come into the English vocabulary. And quite a lot of them are connected to the word Brexit which a year ago, not many people were muttering. Now, a lot of people are muttering it, though very few people know what it means. But the Prime Minister says, Brexit means Brexit, and that's it. All sorts of words spin off, like briguette, and bromaine, and brexidus, which sounds roughly biblical, I think. But instead of Brexit, what does that mean? What does Christmas actually mean? What does Christmas actually mean to you? Some children were asked what Christmas meant to them. And uh, Robert, age six, said, well, Christmas, to his mind, was connected with making a request to Santa. And so he made his request. Dear Santa, please send me a rifle, some pistols, a machine gun, bullets, hand grenades, dynamite, and tear gas. I'm planning a little surprise for my brother. Sylvia, age 10, wrote a little story to explain to her about Christmas, or what she thought it meant to her. It was the night before Christmas, and God was glad to have tomorrow off, <laughs> which means she put a big wedge between God and the events of Christmas. Well, in the very brief time that I'm going to speak, I just want to focus on three particular pointers that I think could be helpful for us. Each year when Christmas comes around, 
I do try to stop and think and reflect a little bit more on the meaning of Christmas. We read that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. One of the things I love, actually, about following Jesus Christ is I find this is a faith that we grow into, not grow out of. There's so much more to understand, so much more to appreciate, so much more to enjoy. So hopefully one of these three pointers, or maybe all three, could assist you in the task. The first thing I want to say is this. When it comes to Christmas, the person is more important than the date. The person is more important than the date. But the rather strange thing about Christmas is more people know the date than the person. If I said to you, for example, April the 21st, 1926, or March the 14th, 1879, I don't really expect you to know whose birthday uh, those two dates are. You might be able to have an informed guess. The first one was the Queen and the second one was Einstein. But you've heard of the Queen and you've heard of Einstein. But how many birthday parties do you hold where you say, well, let's have a birthday party because I feel like a birthday party. We'll have it always on this date, but it doesn't really matter whose birthday we're celebrating. And yet that's what so many people do on December the 25th. So let me just say the very obvious thing. The person is much more important than the date. It's not save the date. It's look at the person. And of course, the person is Jesus. Because what we're doing is celebrating the birth of a child of two Jewish people, Mary and Joseph. And the events of that day, of course, over 2,000 years or so, have had layer upon layer of accretion laid on top of them. They've been romanticized, anglicized, and commercialized. Romanticized, of course, because if you look at the Christmas cards you'll be receiving and probably sending, all the ones I've ever seen, they make Mary and Joseph look pretty together uh, rather than what they were, which was impoverished, on the run, uncomfortable, and uh, inconvenienced and traveling with a cloud over their head because she was pregnant, but she wasn't yet married. Anglicized inevitably because without thinking about it to us, most of us anyway, we have an instant image that Jesus is white, speaks English, and he's probably humming away with a manger. And commercialized because why wouldn't it be? But let's get back to this focus on the person of Jesus today is the message, in the town of Bethlehem, a saviour has been born to you. And all I want to stress is, don't throw the baby out of the manger. Because if you do, you'll be left grasping at straws. And as with any birthday party, it's generally sensible to get to know something about the person whose life you're actually celebrating, isn't it? And he was an actual person, Jesus. He was not a mythical figure. And everything we're told in the stories of his birth, uh, if you like, is sign language saying to us very, very powerfully, this baby is different. 
his verse was different from yours and mine. There was an angelic choir that broke out in rejoicing. There was a star in the east, and wise men made a pilgrimage to find the child and worship him. There were prophecies about this birth given many, many years in advance. And his name is no little clue, Jesus or Joshua, which means God saves. And the title that's bestowed upon him from his birth onwards, the Messiah, the anointed one, the special one. So it's a question that's out there for us to answer, each one to our own satisfaction. What do you make of this person? Dostoevsky once uh, reflected on the life of Jesus. He read the New Testament, the Gospels, and this is what he concluded. I believe there's no one lovelier, deeper, more sympathetic, and more perfect than Jesus. And I say to myself, not only is there no one else like him, there never could be anyone else like him. We at Holy Trinity would like to make you the offer of a Christmas present. It's uh, a little booklet. It's a copy of John's Gospel. And the reason I'm particularly keen to put a copy of John's Gospel in your hand or for you to take one on your way out of church tonight is this. Some years ago, a friend of mine who was a Christian at a time when I was so far off being a follower of Christ It's Not Funny challenged me and said to me, Rupert, have you ever read an account of Jesus' life? And I said, well, I think I probably covered every page of his life, as it were, surely at school. And she said, no, it's not the same. I'm asking you if you've ever read an account of his life while you've been an adult to actually find out who he is. And she said, I, I'd suggest that you read John's Gospel. And once you've done that, if you want, we can have a discussion about it. And now I find myself many, many years later saying the same to you. Have you ever read an account of Jesus' life for yourself? Not judging him on what other people say, but for yourself. Because I'm keen that you should make your mind up about the baby at the center of Christmas for yourself in an informed way. Focus on the person, not the date. So do take one on the way out if you want to. The second pointer I would just highlight for a short while is this. Why did he come? What on earth was the point of Jesus coming? What did he accomplish in his life? Or more particularly, actually, in his death? Well, those well-known words that come with Christmas, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, actually narrow down our focus on precisely what the purpose of his coming is. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. And it's that word savior. God has come to link us with him again, to save us from a life without God, to put us back in touch, if you like, from our own road that we all travel to a road in which God leads us. He's come to reconcile us to him. That's the word, I don't think I often use the word reconciliation. But I hear people use it sometimes about, most often sadly, couples 
whose marriage was falling apart. And then they'll say, but they've been reconciled. And that sums up the meaning exactly. They've got back together, they've forgiven each other, and they're now back on speaking terms. And that's at the heart of why Jesus came. I don't know where I picked up this notion, but somewhere along the line, before I actually read John's Gospel, I picked up the idea that if you involve God in your life, you can be sure God will ruin your life. I kind of thought that God might suck out everything that's fun in life, a bit like um, the Dementors in Harry Potter. But when I read John's Gospel, I was surprised that Jesus says exactly the opposite. Let me read you word for word what Jesus is down on record as saying. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. There's a true story I heard some years ago which I, I love about... Uh, a man who was away on a business trip. And he was away for weeks and weeks and weeks and his wife was getting very, very bored and actually very, very lonely. And she took herself off window shopping in the center of London, actually down Bond Street where there's some very expensive shops. And as she looked in the window of a jewelry shop, she saw this enormous nugget which she really loved. It was a brooch and she just thought it was irresistible but the price tag was horrendously high. So she sent her husband abroad uh, uh, quite a short telegram telling him about it. Now he was in the middle of a meeting when he was handed this telegram. He didn't have very long to reply. He scratched off his reply and um, that was that. She got the reply, she was overjoyed. She went to the shop, she bought the jewel and she was so thrilled that when her husband came back from his business trip he was amazed there was his wife standing at Heathrow airport ready to meet him she'd never done that before and as uh, he he got to the place where they got close he looked at her and he saw that on her coat was this enormous jewel and he went ashen and he said I thought I told you you couldn't get it and she said no 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 you didn't and she went into her handbag and she pulled out this slip of paper, the telegram, where he'd written these words, no price too high. And she'd read, no price too high. And he'd meant, no price too high. <laughs> and I find actually over the years that this is an accurate summary of the two reactions you and I can have to the work of God. That he loves us so much that he came in the form of his son and he dies upon the cross to link us, if you like, to take us by the hand and be a bridge through which we can walk into God's presence. And he sheds his blood for us saying, I love you this much. Will you come to me? And he's saying to us, no price is too high to bring about reconciliation and friendship. And we have a choice to make. And if we want to, we can say, no, price is too high. Or with appreciation of all that he's done, we can say, yes, I'm coming to you. Because no price is too high 
to respond to that kind of love. I love you this much is central to God's Christmas message. And the third pointer I just briefly would draw to our attention is this. It's rather a personal one, really. What is your personal response to Christmas? How does this impact you personally? Many, many years ago now, uh, when I lived in the southwest of England, uh, my children were quite young, and we used to, quite often at weekends, go for a walk in the New Forest. I don't know why, but we had the habit of getting lost quite frequently. And so for that reason, I learned quite soon, it was quite sensible to park your car in a place with a name, a car park with a name, so that if you did get lost, you could ask other people the way back. And one particular winter's evening, uh, my wife, my two children, and our black Labrador dog had been walking for a couple of hours or so. It was getting dark, and I realized that I had absolutely no idea where we were. But I wasn't the least bit worried because I knew the name of the car park, Shepherd's Gutter Car Park, and um, we could hear a road, so we just walked towards the road. We got to uh, the road, and there, very conveniently, was a petrol station. So I, I said to my family, just stay here on this side of the road, and I'll go and find out where we are. And uh, strategically, I asked the driver of a very large car who was filling up his car with petrol, are we far from Shepherd's Gutter? Because I, I've... Um, left the car there and I got my wife and children. I don't think I mentioned the dog. And um, we've got to go back there. And he said, you're miles away from Shepherd's Gutter. You're, you're, you're at least five miles a walk away. And um, he obviously saw I looked fairly crestfallen. He said, but I'll give you a lift, which was mission accomplished, really. And um, so we climbed into his car. We got the dog in his car. And there we are driving along. And actually, rather oddly, I can remember saying to myself, I do hope he doesn't ask me what I do, because um, you, you don't look too great when you've just lost yourself and your children on a walk. So the first thing he says is, uh, where do you live? So I said, well, actually, I live in Salisbury. And he said, oh, that's, that's great. And, and what do you do? So I said, oh, dear, here we go. So I said, uh, well, I'm a vicar. He said, oh, are you a vicar in Salisbury? I know a vicar in Salisbury very well. His name's Rupert Charkham. Well, my children were killing themselves laughing in the back. And I didn't know where to put myself. I didn't know whether I should say, well, I know him pretty well too. Uh, <clears throat> so I think kind of gently I deflated the balloon and just said, well, that's great because I'm he. <laughs> it was quite embarrassing. Wouldn't it be embarrassing to get to the end of your days and to be standing in front of Jesus Christ and to be saying, well, yes, I celebrated your birthday pretty much every year I can remember, but I'm not sure I know you at all. Or to be saying the same kind of conversation that I had with that man, rather ridiculously looking God in the face, saying, oh, yes, we're best of mates, aren't we? And he knows he hasn't had a look in your life at all. I apologize, in a way, for asking you such a straightforward question so bluntly. What is your response to the person at the center of Christmas? But I'd rather you heard it from me than were caught unawares later. It's an invitation. Christmas every year is an invitation to connect with God who loves you.
It's why I called this sermon, Christmas, a stable relationship with God. I rather like that. Because that is at the heart of what the Christmas message is. And so, long after you've forgotten the taste of mince pies, uh, even after you've forgotten the amazing carols that we've heard sung tonight, I really do want to invite you to take away this copy of John's Gospel and to read it with an open heart and an open mind. No one's asking you to make believe or to make it up. I'm just inviting you to look at the evidence in your own time and to think. Not everyone will agree, but some people like me might see there is something in the life of Jesus which is crying out to you to come to him personally. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the events at the heart of Christmas. And thank you that there's always more for us to appreciate. So we ask, Lord, again, that you might open our eyes and our hearts to you afresh. And that for each one of us, this Christmas would be especially meaningful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.